up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Joshua, the world's mayor on the Live Mana Network. Thank you so much for being here. You can find the Live Mana Network by downloading our apps on your smart devices, whether it's your phone, your tablet, uh, your computer, or on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, or any of the other apps that are available. You can find our network there and all of our content. We are a user support. What is it? <laughs> user. It's not what my brain is thinking about social media users. And I kind of love how I twist words sometimes. Anyway, no, what I'm trying to say is that we are a viewer supported uh, nonprofit. So we don't ask for donations. We don't do any of that. But if you do believe in what we're doing as a nonprofit media organization or this network, uh, providing a platform for other voices for the voiceless and also our students that are a part of our media literacy training. Uh, you know, thank you for that. Thank you for your support. We have, uh, this has been the wildest journey. And those of you that are watching from social media that no longer see me there, no, I didn't unfriend you. I just left social media. Um, this has been the best decision of my life. And I'm so grateful for that because be, because of that break and breaking out of that trap and that web of I don't even know what to call it because, you know, it'd just be a bunch of expletives coming out of my mouth. But nonetheless, it's been the best two weeks of my life since I've walked away from it. And uh, it's really, really helped me get focused. And to be honest with you, those of you out there that feel like, you know, you're, you're, you're going a certain, you're getting a certain, uh, you're getting close to the finish line and you keep falling short or something, you know, you're just not breaking through. I got to tell you, I kept having this in the back of my head, especially after watching, and I'm no Trump fan. But I knew when they kicked Trump off of social media that a lot of people were going to be in trouble. And so without getting making this political, um, you know, censorship was a big thing. But I knew in my spirit then that it was time to leave. But I kept ignoring it. And the reason I'm talking about this is because I want to encourage you, regardless of where you're at in your career, your journey, your mission, whether it's your your faith walk, whether it's your your walk to purpose or whatever it is for you. And if you feel like you're not breaking through, what I've learned in my life is this. Typically, it's because there's something in my life that doesn't belong there. <laughs> and since I turned my life around six years ago, there's been some heavy chunks of things being removed. But the one thing that I held on to, even though I could feel in my spirit that it was time to walk away, I kept arguing like, well, how do you run a media organization if you're not on social media? And I kept arguing with it. And I don't know if you're like this or not, but I get in arguments with my spirit quite a bit. <laughs> and usually my spirit wins out, sometimes not. In this case, it did. And as freaked out as I was about it and walking away from all of these online friends that I had and everything else, this very same people that helped me get to have my own network. I gotta tell you, it's been the most amazing experience. And since then, we've had more breakthroughs, like the breakthroughs that I've been waiting for and praying for and begging God for, they've all started to happen. And so the reason I'm saying this, and I don't want mean to disrespect our guests because we have one of the most, I'm so inspired by our guest. And this is not a typical interview that I normally do, but when you hear what she's doing, uh, it's so inspiring, it's so cool. And and I, I kinda wanna ask her some questions around you know, what, how she got to her breakthrough. Because when you hear what she's done and what she's accomplished and what she's accomplishing, 
you're going to be pretty inspired to be able to say, okay, God, or whoever you pray to. I mean, you know, by now you guys know my faith. We don't need to go down all that, right? Go down that road right now. I love Jesus. Um, but whatever that may be, I hope that this interview, this conversation inspires you to walk away from the thing that you know you're holding on to, but you don't need to and you shouldn't be. It's time to surrender it. It's time to let go of it. It's time to walk away from it. It could be a relationship. It could be social media. It could be an addiction. It could be porn. It could be anything. Who knows? Whatever it is for you. It's not for me to tell you, but I think you know in your spirit that thing that you keep going back to. And every time you do, it feels like you're going back to your own vomit. It's, it's awful. I want to, I hope that today inspires you to let go and, and, and make room for what belongs in your life. So ladies and gentlemen, and I, I, I went on a little bit longer than I planned on, but I'm grateful that you're here. And, and I, today is going to be really, really special. Our guest, Kelly Ann Winjet. I believe I said that right. I have so much respect for her. I got to meet her years ago, but you know, it was one of those you meet at an event and don't really put two and two together until later. But after looking into her story and seeing what she was all about, I, the thing that just popped off the page to me was this. She's working in one of the most male dominated fields there is, and that is the investment world, the good old boys club, where when they call it a good old boys club, because typically it's just for old white dudes. <laughs> It's not for African-Americans or Mexicans or anyone else. It's typically old white guys. So there's no room for women. There's no room for really anyone unless if you're part of, sometimes it's even a bloodline. If you're not even attached to a bloodline, and that's getting pretty weird, I know, and pretty deep. But the fact is to penetrate that circle and be able to make moves, and I mean, I'm talking big moves, like <laughs> whale moves. To do that, it takes something special. And so... You know, and, and, and hearing her story, just the, the little pieces that I have, it reminds me of my mother. And, you know, I, I've shared this before on my shows, but my mother and my grandmother were the biggest influences in my life. I was surrounded by men. Of course, I was scared to death of men because, you know, being abused sexually and physically and not really knowing what the heck was going on with me. I didn't I didn't have that male influence. Oh, sure. My dad was a, a badass, you know, could play the guitar and piano and he was a rock star and you know he was successful in business and all that stuff but I didn't really have a lot of respect for my father for how he went about it but how my mother went about it how my grandmother went about it was something that impacted me my entire life and, and it taught me so many lessons and I remember when my mom left my father my father said to my mom and those of you who know my mom would you're gonna hear this and be like what they said it's your mom but those of you who don't, my father told my mother that she would never amount to anything without my dad. And my mom proceeded to become the top realtor in Oklahoma for however many years straight afterwards. I'm inspired by that. I'm ins inspired by anyone who's willing to go against the grain because they feel in their spirit this is the path for them. So ladies and gentlemen, it is without further ado uh, for me to introduce to you a very, very special human being Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Kelly Ann Winget. As soon as I get my hands over here. Hello, Kelly. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm sorry about my long introduction there. I just got to talking and 
didn't stop. So oh, I'm so grateful you're here. Um, so good to see you again. And first things first, though, what are you grateful for today and why? I'm grateful for many things. Um, one in particular is not being washed away in the rain the last couple of days here in Texas, but um, mostly for the openness and opportunity that has kind of presented itself in the last couple of years. Um, you know, as we get into the kind of the background of me, it's, it's definitely was um, a trust fall and seeing how many arms were actually there behind me is, is really uh, an incredible feeling. So I'm grateful for that. A gratitude thing. So may I ask, because I think the journey that you go on is a, it's a solo journey for a while and mm -hmm. you need help and you want help and you're looking around and you're going, okay, well, this person says they want to help me, but I don't really feel like I can trust them. I don't know if I need them in my life. Right. And you're looking around and it's like one of the most lonely journeys ever. Who was it for you that came in support to help you get to the next level? So um, it kind of depends on like what phase of life really. So um, I was extremely fortunate to have two parents that were um, entrepreneurs, investors themselves in the financial space, um, but also just open and loving people. So, you know, we were supported from day one on whatever our passions were, um, whether it was music school or whatever, um, you know, uh, I'm gay and I've always been that way. And I never had to come out to my parents, which is an unusual story wow. 20 years ago. You know, now it's like everybody has some sort of identity. You know, I can say this, my partner and I have two kids and they're literally whatever they want. And yeah. uh, it's a normalized conversation in, you know, the teenage space. But back when I was in middle school, high school, like that was, you were not talking about that. And my parents were just, uh, it was the same thing. Like when I was in high school, um, you know, my brother had a girlfriend, Kelly had a girlfriend, my sister had a boyfriend. And it was just like, that was how it was discussed. Um, it was never uncomfortable. So, you know, that's the kind of space that I grew up in. I'm extremely fortunate for that. Um, yeah. But it also, you know, set me up for success on my own because I had that confidence going into the real world, right? Um, it was never sugarcoated, even though we did, um, you know, my parents made sure that we had uh, not even, not financially, but like a safety net of emotional support, uh, which I think is more valuable. So, um, you know, going into my late teens and early 20s, I was, um, you know, working in a lot of different industries. I was trying to figure out where I fit. Um, I was doing a lot of work in like uh, in, in database management and creating database programs for cost estimating in the construction space, which led me to oil and gas. And then um, my background in oil and gas, I'm five generations. So when you're talking about bloodline, um, I, I definitely have the advantage of that. Both sides of my family have been in oil and gas since the beginning of time. So, um, my mother, uh, my mother's side of the family, my mother was adopted, but it was adopted into this oil family. And, mm -hmm. um, so our, our assets are in Louisiana. And so those are deeply rooted oil and gas, Louisiana families. Right. And on my father's side is more of the roughnecks from Midland, Odessa. These are the people that worked on the rigs. They were landmen. Um, and on my mom's side, they had engineers and landowners. So, 
um, kind of two different pictures of the oil and gas industry. And now I get to be like the money side, which is kind of cool. Um, and that's the tougher circle to get into. Yes. Sure, yes right? it is. Yeah, it's definitely um, you either have a banking background or you've owned more oil than God. And that's how you get into the finance side. Um, so I've been able to kind of uh, what I say, drag my seat to the table and sit down at it um, because I'm a, a relatively uh, unoffensive person. Um, I'm white from an upper class upbringing and I know how to operate in high net worth situations. Sure. And so um, I, but I do also realize that I'm extremely privileged and there's other people that are being excluded. Uh, and so how can I leverage my privilege in the best way? And it's by giving access to these types of opportunities to people who are being ignored. It, and I, and I want to talk about Elvest and everything else that you're doing because that part is cool. But I want to go back to something mm -hmm. because I didn't want to I, – I, I mean, I know about your sexuality, and I think you kind of know about mine a little bit of Smoy told you, um, which is kind of – I don't even put a label on it because I think it changes with the wind. But that mm -hmm. said, it, it, it's part of me. But the reason I'm bringing this back up is because there's two things that I would say were my greatest setbacks growing up and even into my adult life. I learned to lie because I was scared to tell the truth for a lot of different reasons we won't go into now. And then secondly, not knowing my identity. And every time I thought I was about to know my identity, I start to go, wait a second, the Bible says or the church says or the Christians say, and then I would just beat myself up. And I, as I said in the beginning, I, I'm a follower. I, I love Jesus with all my heart. I, I, I do. I don't subscribe to religion whatsoever. And it is a very different thing for me. But even after making that choice to that I was going to follow Christ, I didn't. I was still beating myself up because every time I found that I was attracted to a man or I mean, I mean, some of the transgendered women are better looking than <laughs> women and men together. So it's like, okay. And I mean, and like, I still had all of those, not just attraction, but like energetic feelings for certain people. It was really based off the energy. But every time I would notice that where my heart would light up, where I would meet, meet another, another man or, and, and I'm going, oh my God, God hates me. And, and I, and I would shut down. I would beat myself up and then I would just be lost again. Yeah. And it took two years in my journey for me to finally just go, or I finally heard the words again, that God loved me just the way that I was. And it was something about accepting at that time that I finally started to make more loving choices for myself. So like when I would shame myself, I wouldn't go dive into drugs because of the depression and trying to pull myself out. Like all that stuff stopped. And it's taken me almost almost six years of my walk to get to this place where I go, you know what? I don't care what the book says. I love the Bible with all my heart, but I know it's been corrupted by man. I know there's an agenda there. I know that they want to pit us against each other. I know the history of religion. I, I want none of that. My relationship is with God, and that is with me and God alone. It's not an orgy relationship. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And the reason I'm bringing this up is this. I'm a proud supporter of the LGBT community. Not if there's an agenda hidden somewhere, I don't support that. 
but people being people and people loving each other and people meeting each other where they're at to me is one of the most important things and the reason why is so that people will know their identity and and when you know your identity it makes it a lot easier for you to become confident in yourself to be able to do things like go for your dreams yep to do the things that look impossible because you feel in your spirit that that's the direction you're supposed to go i think it is amazing that your parents allowed you to be who you were and supported that because what you've just shown by that simple statement is the power in just letting kids be and loving them no matter what. And I think sometimes as parents, we try to control every aspect of their life and we keep them from really becoming who they were created to be. So, I think a lot. Of, I think a lot of that is, um, and uh, I've talked about this with my my mother. I'm very close to my mom. Um, my father passed away several years ago, but um, my mom my mom just turned 67, and um, she I mean she grew up in upstate New York and Connecticut, and like so a very uh, a conservative upbringing, but by a bunch of um, you know, Northeasterns. So, uh, it was, it's an, her personality is very interesting. So, um, them to be supportive of, um, me in this way was difficult for her. Um, but she never, um, like made me feel bad about it. She always had questions and, um, you know, later in her life, she's become, uh, less filtered because she doesn't care anymore. She's an old lady. <laughs> That's right? a good place to be. So she, she's more honest about like the way that she was feeling in the past and like how she's feeling now. And uh, one of the things that she's talked about is um, I, I didn't not like you being gay when you were younger. I just hated everyone you dated. <laughs> so just a judge a character thing. And um, her, her biggest thing is, she just worried about the life that I would live and how difficult it would be. And I think that mm -hmm. that's what people need to understand and um, be empathetic of um, with parents and, uh, um, you know, gay identifying children or people that like they want to maybe explore different genders. Like these things are very uncomfortable topics for people that aren't used to um, that concept. Uh, yeah. This is very new. And to get angry at them is a waste of energy because um, it takes time and you have to have empathy um, of that situation because they honestly, it boils down to them worrying about the struggles that their children are going to have to live because you want to give your kid like the best experience in life. And um, they just internalize that and then project it. Right. And that's what you receive as a child. And then you internalize and project that. So parents, if you're watching this and you have, if you, if you think that you're maybe experiencing this with your children, just try to keep an open mind and um, work through your own insecurities of your children's future rather than, you know, trying to protect them from that because when they leave the house, I mean, you, you've done your job and you have to support them in whatever way they it, are letting you support them. Um, and I think that's really important. Uh, 
So that's my two cents on that topic. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, I support that a hundred percent, a hundred percent, because look, I know some people like for me, and then after that, I want to shift off, off this, this yeah. topic, not that I'm uncomfortable with it. It's just, there's a lot of stuff to talk about with you. Yes. But for, for me, like I, like I used to pray, I try to pray it away. I didn't know what was real. And of course, because I was dealing with my trauma with a lot of drugs and everything else, I never really knew what was real anyway. And so I had to take a step back from everything and get it figured out. And even trying to pray it away, even doing all the things because I was like trying to be what I thought I was supposed to be. And uh, it never worked. In fact, if anything, it just aggravated the situation and caused me more pain and suffering. And I really wrapped my head around the fact that God loves me and I'm going to do my best. And at any point, if he wants to come say, hey, I got something better for you. Why don't you walk away from that? Then I'm going to listen. But until then, I'm going to love myself and try to love everybody else where they're at with no judgment. And the, and the dadgum thing, one thing I'm so grateful for my wife for is that she taught me because I didn't really know how to be a good dad. But so what you were just talking about is very similar to some of the things that she taught me and just raising two daughters. I mean, they're my stepkids, but just letting them be without trying to control or try to force them into trying to become something like what, how I was parented. No, my mom was amazing. My, my father was the controlling one. And, uh, but I've learned a lot about that and just letting kids figure things out. I don't want to force anything on them. I don't want to tell them what I think they are. I'm just mm -hmm. going to let them work it out themselves. And because of that, we have a happy family and we have really happy, well-adjusted kids to all the crazy that's been happening. And so, yeah, this seems to be working. So I love your advice. All right. So you grow up in privilege. You, yes. you know what success looks like. Yes. You have accepting, loving parents, regardless mm -hmm. of what they may have really thought or not. They still loved you and supported you. You were put in a position where you know how to talk to talk. You know how to rub elbows with the elite. You are elite. But yet you have a heart to take a step down the ladder and try to pull other people up to give them the same opportunities that you have how and why and where did that heart come from? Because that's not common for people in your situation. Um, I mean, I think it's just all is uh, part of how I grew up. I just, I was, exp we were never, um, for example, I played basketball for like 10 years and uh, I joined this basketball team. My mother did not want us to, um, be only exposed to the people that are in our neighborhoods or in our school district. And we went to public school, but Plano is like Plano, Texas is like very, it's not very diverse and, uh, and wasn't diverse in the, in the nineties or early two thousands. So, um, uh, when I decided I want to play basketball, she actually took me to a completely different part of town. And I played on a basketball team where I was the only white person. And, um, so I played with these girls for 10 years, you know, and talked about their experiences. Um, you know, when we did different activities, we were pulled out of our community and did these activities in other places. Uh, we traveled a lot as a family. So, um, you know, we got to see how other parts of the world lived and, um, you know, it wasn't sugarcoated ever. 
Um, we were constantly told you have more than somebody else and you should be thankful for that and you should give when you can. Um, so I've always had that mindset and I think my siblings do too. So when I, um, when I got into the financial space, it was kind of really gross how um, that mentality was so rare. Um, you have a lot of people who are making a lot of money and, um, and, and not re-contributing back to the community. Um, so it was something that I watched for a decade. Um, and that goes from both the, the private wealth side and the investors, you know, um, I've worked with investors that had obscene amount of money and they were just concerned about you know, the bottom dollar, they weren't giving it away because you talk about tax strategies and part of that is um, charitable contributions and people are like, oh no, I don't want to look at that. It's like, okay, well, you're going to write a, a half a million dollar check to uncle Sam, or you can write a half million dollar check to a charity that helps people. Right. There are ways for wealthy people to give back to communities that also benefit them. And I think that that's kind of the messaging that we have on the investor side of things um, is that here are all these things that we're doing with. And if you're going to partner with us, I'm going to make, make you money, but also we're going to do all these good things. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's not enough of that happening with people at the top. Uh, and because I've been in the you know, the, the backside of these companies, you know, I've worked for private equity, I've worked for a large family office and, um, not enough of that is happening. Uh, they're all concerned about what fees they can collect, um, what kind of charges they can put on their credit cards and the parties that they can have. So when you're talking about these different types of things, like you're very open about this, this is not an openly talked about thing in the financial space. And the reality is, is that there are, there's all these, you know, you have Wolf of Wall Street movies where you get kind of an inside of these boiler rooms where people are just doing like cocaine off the desk and have strippers coming into the office. And um, now it's a little bit more refined now. So, you know, you have the financial advisors and brokers doing cocaine in the bathroom at the steakhouse, you know, like it's mm -hmm. a little different, um, but same, same thing. And yeah. um, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to be around when you feel like you're trying to do somebody um, the best, you're trying to do the best job for somebody mm -hmm. and you're constantly surrounded by people being idiots and, um, and abusing their uh, situation. Um, people pay uh, financial professionals a lot of money to control their money and help them put their wealth places that are effective. And these people are using and abusing that um because they can and no one cares like there's no oversight um they only care if they get in trouble or something else and i just don't want to be a part of that world anymore yeah um, it was it was hard to be a part of that i spent 10 years um working with over 150 different privately owned companies raising capital from investors um helping them figure out a marketing strategy to reach more investors because they all had generally really good ideas um right. 
and some of them were poorly managed and some of them, you know, really worked out for investors. But I was always standing behind somebody in somebody's shadow or behind somebody's reputation. And it got to the point where I could no longer like support or believe the person I was supposed to be representing. And uh, it just was, I'm the only person that I know I can trust the reputation of. And I can support that reputation. I can control that reputation and it's my own reputation to ruin. Right. And so that's why kind of the pandemic woke that up. Um, I just saw so much, uh, misinformation being passed around, uh, especially now. And you touched on it a little bit like social media, there's just so much misinformation that's being spread and there's no control of it. And I know that the censorship thing is really sensitive, but when it comes to like financial information, money information, like there has to be some sort of control and um, investors put a lot of trust in strangers on the internet and they don't do it. They, don't, Kramer. <laughs> they just don't do any follow-up and it's, and it's not their fault. They don't know how to do it and no yeah. one's, them and so my mission really is i can only work with millionaires okay so i i am limited on who i can help directly um my investors have to be accredited they have to have a million dollar net worth or they have to make over two hundred thousand dollars a year those are the people that can invest with me however it doesn't mean that i can't have a conversation with somebody who isn't necessarily accredited yet i will tell them where they need to start researching their own information that is non-bias, where they can start making moves to become accredited so they can start participating in private equity. And these are the conversations that just don't exist anywhere. And the family offices aren't going to tell you, and your broker's not going to tell you because they don't make any money in this world. Private equity is for private equity. The broker-dealer networks, you know, unless they have access to a special deal, um, you know, can't, can't tell their investors this. And a majority of the investors are through some sort of... Um, you know, custodian in that space. Wow. So um, they will, they will, the licensing system in uh, the financial world is kind of um, trying to figure out what the right word is predatory, I guess. So when you're licensed in, in financial services, you're either licensed to sell insurance products right. or you're licensed to sell securities, which is a, a registered security in the stock market. So um, like a publicly traded security. Now, private securities, unregistered securities, which is what I do, um, is that you can't buy it on the market. They are unregistered, even though we have to register our funds with the SEC. Um, they're considered unregistered um, because they're not uh, necessarily controlled by any entity. Um, and they are not allowed to be sold by licensed uh, financial advisors unless they have a specific type of licensing and have disclosed this type of product to their license holder. Um, in most cases, if they uh, sell a product that is not sold within their custodian, they'll uh, lose their license because the person who holds their license will say that it's considered selling away um, and take away their license. So uh, it's a really interesting thing for investors to have to deal with because um, at the end of the day, your financial advisor makes money on your money staying with them. Uh, or them selling you a product, right? They make commissions on this or they make a fee on, on their assets under management. So how much money are they managing? Um, so for them to recommend something outside of what they get paid on 
they will never do that. Uh, and it's not, even fiduciaries will not do that um, because their, their interest is that commission, right? Mm -hmm. So it's okay to have a portion of your net worth with these types of people because they do have access to the public market, right? Um, and historically it's gone up right now. We're in a weird space, but a portion of your portfolio should be in something that you are making the decision about. Um, Eric, question really quick. Yeah. Let's just say the global economy crashes because, mm -hmm. well, you know, let's just say it crashes. Mm -hmm. What happens to people's investments? Are they, there any safe investments if the dollar completely crashes? So currency, let's just say that all currency, there's a global financial crash and they have to bring in a new financial system. What happens with all the investments that were made in the old financial system? Uh, they disappear. So, um, yeah, really? yeah, they disappear. So, um, even when we talk about guarantees, which I never talk about guarantees, especially in the alternative space, but, um, the saying is nothing in life is guaranteed, right? Uh, except for death and taxes. Um, so <laughs> um, that's why I really like the commodities space because you're talking about a tangible thing that has value um, as opposed to uh, like a piece of paper or uh, some sort of version of currency. So even when we talk about guarantees like insurance or the bank, um, people say, oh, my money is safe in the bank. But the reality is, is that it's only federally insured for up to $250,000, right? Um, so if, if the bank fails, the government covers that, but if the government's banks fail, you know, who's there to return that to you. And if you're sitting on a million dollars in cash in a bank account, like you could lose that. It's not protected there. Um, so you have to move it around. The wealthiest people in the world don't sit in cash in their bank. They have no cash sitting somewhere. Um, they might have some like in their house, but for the most part, when we're talking about three, five, ten million dollar net worth people, which is a lot of people, um, there's like almost fifty million millionaires uh, in the United States. Yeah. So, uh, and especially now, there's a lot of new millionaires uh, because there's all these new ways you can make money, especially in the digital space. So, where are those people putting money? You know, they're buying cars, they're buying crazy stuff. Uh, and then they realize, oh, I have to pay taxes on that. Um, and then they don't have the cash to buy the, ta you know, pay the taxes or they're paying the taxes and they don't have to, you know, you have these, these YouTube stars and stuff that, um, or even the TikTok people that got famous overnight, you know, yeah. and yeah. now they're sitting on a million dollars worth of ad revenue um, or affiliate re revenue. And they're like, well, now what? I've got to pay five, four, $400,000 in taxes. It's like, you, well, you don't, uh, but no one's there talking to them because the financial advisors are all old and they're like, I don't understand YouTube world, you know, like how am I, I don't understand. And they don't want to work with a 22 year old that, you know, did a dance on TikTok and made a million dollars. You know, they just don't want to talk to somebody like that. And I don't care if you're 22 and made a million dollars dancing. Great. Um, you know, like how can I save you money on taxes and set you up so that, you know, if no one likes your next dance, you're going to be okay. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the reality of things. They're not being told that. And so um, <coughs> I, those are the people that I want to work with. 
um, even though I still work with old white men. Um, but they uh, they like me too. <laughs> I you're very likable. I want to know about Elvis. I think it's such a cool idea. <clears throat> yeah, because I, I haven't seen anything like it. I knew there's another woman that was doing something on the product side of things that was similar. It was just for female inventors and creators. But I've never heard of anything like Elvis. Do you mind telling the audience about it? Sure. So um, Elvis is a, a company that was founded by Sally Krawcheck. And if people don't recognize that name, um, she's kind of like a powerhouse woman in when it comes to like private wealth and banking. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a CFO of Citibank. She was pretty publicly fired on the Wall Street front page of Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times. <laughs> Um, for like, she, it's just crazy. Um, you should up her story because she's got an incredible one. And I had the opportunity to, um, meet her at a conference in New York several months ago. And, uh, we had a very intimate, um, setting. So there were only about a hundred people in the room. She got to do, she was our keynote speaker. She told her story. Um, I had known about Sally Krawcheck just being a fangirl in finance, but being able to like hear it from the horse's mouth and like get to see a piece of her personality um, was kind of like what sold me on being able to participate. So I, I literally just reached, she's worth $16 billion. Okay. Um, that's a lot of money. And I literally just wrote an email to her inbox and was like, I'd really like to have a conversation with you. And we exchanged cell phone numbers and had a, about a 45 minute conversation. Um, she was closing out her series B round where they raised $50 million. And we got to take out another family office because they were taking too long to make a decision uh, to close out the fund. So um, we were one of the last people into the fund, which was really, really cool. And so I got the opportunity to hang out with her like, um, on a more intimate level, we had like an investor party. So um, the Series B funders, which $50 million is a lot of money. But when we're talking about this kind of fintech, it's you're, you're talking maybe 30 investors. Um, yeah, so it was a small party. And so we got to talk about where Elevis was, um, what the future is. And um, they have a little over, I think, a million or $1.5 billion AUM now. And what Elevest is and why it's so special and why I care about it so much um, is because it's a it's a investment platform that not only does financial literacy for women, it also allows women the opportunity to start like investing like a woman and getting the support from either a robo advisor, depending on what level of subscription you have, a, ro right. a robo advisor who's built specifically for female investors, and then their private wealth side, which are all people who understand the female journey, right? And you talked about this a little bit with your with your mother saying like, I'll show you, um, yeah. is that a lot of people, especially women, um, don't have the option to go and do something else because of that financial tie to a man. And these are things that uh, men don't necessarily have to think about when it comes to financial planning because they start making money earlier they make money longer and they make more money for longer. Um, they have more opportunities to create wealth in their lifetime than women do. 
So they take that into consideration when they're building these investment algorithms. Um, women make less money. They work for less amount of time. Um, they usually outlive their partner. Um, like there's all these, there's all these different things that have to be taken into consideration. Typically like their social security that they receive is actually their husband's. Um, like my mother, for example, when my father passed away, um, uh, several years ago when she got to retirement age, um, she, my father's social security, even though he died in 2014. Okay. And my mother just started taking social security, um, his social security from the, his lifetime, he died right before his 60th birthday. So in 59 years, his social security is higher than my mother retiring at 65. So she, she worked for another six years longer. And actually my father, my father stopped working around 55. So like for 10 years, my mother worked longer than my father and still took his social security because it was more. So yeah, there's a the that's there's a lot of things that go into that, and you don't think about it because it's not talked about. But women have to think about this all the time, and this platform gives them the space to learn about it without being shoved products down their throat. Um, most there's some interesting uh, facts about women leaving financial advisors after their um, husband partners pass away because that person doesn't understand or listen to um, the widow, uh, because they've had this relationship with this other person. And I right. think that we're seeing a shift happen with women taking more control of their financial situation. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they are having their money separated from their partners or anything. It's just that they want to know where it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and they want and to have it. Yeah, they should. You have to know where, <laughs> even if you, even if you're a stay at home person, Okay. And you don't make any income, you should still know where the money is. And if you're with, and this is really important, if you're with somebody uh, in a romantic relationship or a partnership or whatever who won't let you know that information, you should probably leave. Um, you guys should be on the same page as far as money goes. Um, everything, though. Yeah, of everything, though. It's like, just being honest. Right. So it is. It's not that complicated. Just tell yep. the truth. Yep. Be transparent. And people don't Especially do it. Especially if you're in a relationship. Right. And people don't. People are not honest about their um, their financial situations early in relationships. Uh, it usually comes out later. And uh, I think this is a really important thing for young people that are listening here. Is that have the conversation early because um, it can be if you guys are not on the same page. Um, you'll never be. And so my partner and I, my fiance, she's a social worker. Okay. And I'm in private equity. So you can imagine the difference in, um, uh, salary potential there. Right. And, um, I knew this going in, she knew this going in, but I don't, I don't put her in, in situations where that makes her feel uncomfortable. Sure. Um, and, she doesn't make me feel bad for spit like spending money on something. And, uh, because our, uh, our money is different and we don't co-mingle really. Um, we share expenses, but if I want to go on a really obnoxious trip somewhere, like I know that I'm going to bear that burden of cost. Right? right. Um, 
and I think that that's just a conversation you have to have with your potential partners. How do you feel about money? You know, if we're going to move forward in this life together, you know, how do you see expenses being split? Um, and, and just have them, have them early and often. Money should not be an uncomfortable conversation for people. And I think that we're starting to see more of that now. Social media helps with this because everybody's on there blabbing about something, um, <laughs> which can be dangerous. I, I mean, I have my own opinion about the financial gurus and coaches and stuff on social media right. um, because <laughs> they- If you've invested the way Jim Cramer taught people to invest, <laughs> you would be homeless. And he's on TV every day, multiple times a day. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Ramsey too. But you have to understand, like, if you can find out who's paying them, you will understand the bias in the conversation. So uh, I pay myself. So my bias is there. Thank you for that. Is my, is my, I was avoiding all of that. So I'm glad that you did it. (laughs) Yeah. I pay myself. And so I, myself is my interest. And so um, my, my money is at the same risk as my investors. Um, I invest alongside them. And so if the investment fails, we all lose money and I don't like to lose money. So, uh, I invest in that way. So that's kind of the biggest difference between what I do and what these other people do is that they don't have their own skin in the game. Um, they might now because they've made millions of dollars being fund managers or, uh, advisors or whatever, but, um, when they got started or even funds now are structured this way where, uh, the management fees are built in before the investors returns. They have acquisition fees. So just for doing the deal, they get a bonus. Um, they have all of their expenses covered out of the investors pockets. Um, there's all these things that are built in there that investors will never understand or really care about because they're passive and that's okay. But you forfeit a huge chunk of your return by giving up, um, all of that to a manager. You know, you it's interesting what you've highlighted on and really the big path that it opened like for discussion because the money conversation and relationships, money and sex are like the two conversations that I think men are the worst about. I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm not a woman, but I've been around enough men to know <laughs> that they don't like talking about what they really want sexually, who they are. That's why they cheat and get on apps and do other things because they're afraid to be honest about what they really want. Mm-hmm. And so then they cheat and then make things worse and nothing ever gets accomplished. Uh, and and I know this from experience because I was awful. Um, but the other conversation is money. Mm-hmm. And it, because, you know, that's an area, money is a tool that men use to, get away with their lies or help their lies. And that's not the only reason, but that those two kind of go money and sex go hand in hand kind of. And it's really interesting why it's so hard for men to have these conversations and why they want to control so much of it. But really when you get to that place where you can have those honest conversations, regardless of how ugly it may feel and look, The outcome is usually always productive and positive. And that could be that it's productive and positive because the woman or man, for that matter, goes, 
screw that noise. I want nothing to do with that. And they leave. But right. at least you've given them that option by being honest. Right. But like that was a tough, I mean, being straight up, I, I'd gone through enough bad things in my life that by the time I met what became my wife, I had already gotten to that place where I could be honest and have those conversations. Mm -hmm. But the money conversation was, it was always tough at the beginning because of financial insecurity. Right. So I appreciate that encouragement because there's a lot of people that are listening that are in that situation where they're trying to hide, you know, some part of the relationship from their partner and it's never going to work that way. Right. And especially now, I believe more than ever, we have to take, especially in relationships, we have to take a all a hand, all hands on deck approach. What, regardless of how much money you have, the world is changing and it really requires people to be all in and committed to their part of committed to their part of the relationship. Yes. So um, yes. This, that's a really important uh, point because when I decided to start Alternative Wealth Partners, um, I had to have a conversation with my partner and we had just started dating. We were dating maybe two months, three months or something. And she has two kids and she, you know, went through a divorce and um, I decided I was going to start a new business in the middle of a pandemic. And, uh, she was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and it was a conversation that I said, I wanted to do this and there was no hesitation. It was all right, let's okay. <laughs> you know, just let me know what is, what's happening, like what's going to happen. What does this mean? You know? So being honest about, you know, where I, where I was and what I have to do and like what we can't do and blah, 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 blah. Um, like, especially if you're considering being an entrepreneur with a partner, like it's a lot. I've, you know, I've started a couple companies, but, um, you know, I was never with somebody that that conversation really mattered. I didn't really care if that person cared if I had a business and if that business failed, um, I would just like figure out what the next step was on my own. Um, but it felt different with, um, uh, my fiance now. So when I made that decision, I, you know, it was a conversation. So, and it's constantly a conversation because now we've gone from, you know, Kelly doing alternative wealth partners to, okay, now Kelly's going to be on TV and podcast and radio and, um, writing a book and like doing all these things. And it's now she's going to be like the face of private equity for minorities and, um, like ripping the cloak off of private equity. Like there's all of these things that are happening and that has to be accepted by the people who are in your life because it affects them. And, um, you know, it's a, it is a constant conversation in our household because I've lived a life where I never had to consult somebody about what I'm doing. And now I do. Um, and it changes whether or not I go to a conference all week or for a day, uh, what part of the country am I traveling in and how does it affect the schedule at the home and, you know, what's going to happen with the dot. Like there's lots of things that get, you know, taken into consideration, which is interesting because if I were a male fund manager, I literally would never have to do that. I would just, I would be a fund manager and my family would have to deal with that, whatever it took. And uh, I think that's the biggest difference on, you know, what we experience as female founders and fund managers and, um, 
you know, people in VC and private equity that are women is that we're doing all of that and having a family and home life. Yeah. And men, men typically do not do that. And you can tell in the private equity space that they literally have no idea what's going on at home. Um, there are some people out there. I'm not here to like bash all of private equity or finance or anything. There are good oh, people. White men. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I have wonderful, I have wonderful old white men as clients, and they know that, and I pick on them all the time. Um, but there are allies in every space, and if you make the time and the effort to find them, you can find people in these types of services that can help you and understand your specific situation. So I'm not, I'm not totally familiar with the range of your audience. Um, oh, but, it's diverse. Okay. So, I mean, you just have to find them. There are minority fund managers. There are minority uh, financial advisors, estate attorneys, CPAs, tax people. You just have to find them. Yeah. And, um, you know, don't be afraid to Google a black female CPA in San Diego. You know, like look it up and find it. Um, don't be afraid to look that up uh, because they need your support and they're good at what they do. They have the same certifications as the old white man. Um, you just have to make the commitment to support those people. I want to know. I want to touch on what you just said. The reason why you have to specifically put black female or whatever it may be mm -hmm. is because if not the SEO is going to send you to the old white guy right? because that's how dominated it is. And I, I could give about 800 million examples of, I could compare, I could do the same with skincare, cosmetics and whatever it's. So it's not necessarily about the people, but it's true. They have, you try Googling soda pop and if Coca-Cola is not the first option and Pepsi number two or foot flop, whatever, yeah. like, I mean, these guys have been in it or guys, whoever, they've been in the business so long that they got every corner dominated because they had the money to control the SEO and so on and so on. So if you want to support minorities of whether it's LGBT, African-American, Latino, it doesn't matter, Asian, doesn't matter, les lesbian, gay, bisexual, we go on and on and on. You have to be specific in the search or you won't get it unless if you're lucky. And right. that is, I believe that that is why that you said that it wasn't so much to bash anybody. You're just really stating the facts of yeah. that's how you have to do it. It's almost like a dating profile. You gotta be, you gotta be specific, specific about what you want to get that. Yes. And so, I mean, I'm intentional with the people that I include on my team because I want investors when they do find us, uh, no matter what their walk of life is to look at the team and say, that person looks like me. Yeah. So, you know, there's somebody there that will understand something I'm saying, right? Because I'm a privileged white woman from Texas. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can, I can be in rooms with conservatives. I can be in rooms. I lived in California. So I can be in rooms with more liberal people. But the thing is, is that um, I will never understand like a, a black woman's financial situation. Um, where they came from, unless they came from a privileged white neighborhood in North Texas. And yeah. even then they still had to deal with their own prejudices, you know, and discrimination. Sure. And so I want them to, if they're in a place where 
they have money and want to invest like a white person, like a old white man that they come to us and see that my team has somebody that looks like them on it. Um, and, and be supported and, and understand that I also support everybody else. Yeah. Uh, and you have to be intentional when you're looking for these things. I, I have a colleague in the industry who is a registered investment advisor. She's an RIA. And um, she's up in Northern California and she is the owner of Stripper Financial. Okay. Stripper Financial is a financial planner for people in sex work. So she works with strippers, um, uh, sex workers, OnlyFans people. And, mm-hmm. and, and she understands, um, I don't know if she necessarily like personally understands, but she's made, she's made it her mission to work with uh, that type of client to understand their, their cash flow, their money issues because like it's unpredictable. It's typically all in physical cash. Like there's, there's very uh, industry specific struggles that she's probably one of three financial advisors in the country that, that does this. And that's me guessing she's the only one that I know of. And, um, you know, that's a really interesting thing because if you're a sex worker or a stripper or, even just like like a cocktail waitress at a restaurant, like you deal with different financial situations, like being a lot in cash and how do you deposit that into a bank? Cause a lot of banks don't accept that. Um, and then what do you do? Like, how do you pay taxes on that? How do you invest that? How do you buy a car, a house, rent an apartment? Like these are things that uh, Bob is not going to talk to you about. Um, because he doesn't, he doesn't understand. He only understands that you make $150,000 on a W-2 job. You have a rental property that you make some additional income on. And, you know, you inherited $4 million from your parents when they died. And so there, he's just going to sit there and collect the fee on just having that sit in the market, um, whether it goes up or down. And uh, he doesn't want to deal with something complicated like a 1099 cash person. Um, so if you have a unique situation, there is somebody out there for you. Um, and it's getting, it's getting more accessible now because the DEI conversations are happening and there's more support, there's more grants, there's more scholarships, uh, for minorities to take the financial courses to get certified, to support their communities. And I think that if it's important to you to know more about finance, find the person in your community that looks like you. You're, you're, you're right about that too. I remember when, so we started a business, uh, when COVID hit and it was our nonprofit. And when we were calling around trying to find the right CPA, we talked to CPAs from mega churches and everything. And we were telling them we want to be a nonprofit media organization and, and multimedia broadcast network. And all we want to do is serve. We don't want to do fundraisers. We don't want to do any of that. We want to serve. And the guy said, well, first of all, not only is that a, going to be a failed business model, um, you you won't get your 501c3 either because it's never been done for what you're trying to do. And this is the guy that works with all the mega churches. I was like, well, screw you. I'm going to try anyway. And he was an old white guy. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> okay. We ended up getting our 501c3 in two weeks and we did everything ourselves. 
And, um, you know, which, because I figured out how to do it. You know, I, I couldn't find anybody that specialized in what we did because we felt it was kind of a unique thing. Even though we know there's other nonprofits that do media and other mm -hmm. nonprofits that have broadcasting, the way that we wanted to go about it, we were told it couldn't be done. And instead of letting it break my spirit, we found a way. Good. And there's a lot of people out there that want to get into investing. They, they, they want to understand finances more. And because of social media, what you were talking about before, you know, a lot of them, a lot of people get burned. A lot of people join network marketing versions of financial planning and get screwed. I mean, there's just so many stories and, and it's really, really frustrating. So I, I like to think of somebody that would specialize in working with minorities or people from, you know, minority, minority cultures or, or groups, whatever it may be. I, I look at them like social workers in a way because they're there to serve. They're served the people that other people ignore. Yep. And so I love that you're doing that. And you have so many other businesses and so many other cool things that you're doing. And we don't have time to go into all of that. But for those that um, when you go to our website after this broadcast is done, you'll be able to see the media kit and you'll find links to all of Kelly's uh, businesses and projects and all that she's working on. It is so cool. Like it is, there's so much more there uh, than what we even got today, but you provided so much value and so much information. And for anyone that wants to work with you, I know that you said that, you know, there's an entry, uh, uh, the, 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 the barrier to entry is a certain dollar amount, but if people are wanting to invest, they're wanting to work with someone like yourself that they can trust, how can they find you? Um, and if somebody doesn't, they're not in that, you know, they're not making 500,000 a year, million a year, they don't have a million net worth, any of that stuff. If somebody was to reach out for whatever reason and say, hey, you know, I only make 100000 a year. Do you have somebody that can help me get involved? If somebody was to reach out, would you refer them? Oh, yeah. So I get calls all the time. Um, and because I do podcasts and I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, which is the easiest way to find me. I'm If you want to like passively look at the things that I'm talking about, LinkedIn is really good. Um, Your LinkedIn I'm is good, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I don't like LinkedIn, but I really, you, you have a really great LinkedIn page. Thank you. Thank you. I try to share like interesting things that I like. Mm -hmm. So um, hopefully people like it too. I think we're going to start... Um, I don't think we are going to start um, just a weekly podcast of like 20 minutes of me, like uh, what I say, uh, screaming into the abyss about finance. Um, right. But that'll kind of give you an insight on what I'm experiencing on my side of things. But if you have questions, um, our website is just alternativewealthpartners.com. You can submit um, just a contact form. We'll set up a meeting. And uh, if you're not accredited, that just means you can't invest in what I'm doing. Right. But it doesn't mean that you can't invest. Um, and I'm happy to share resources with you to start making those decisions for yourself. Um, Elevest isn't just for women. Also, you could be anybody. Um, it's just the investing content is kind of just, just targeted towards women. Um, but we are smart investors too. So if you're a man who want to learn how to invest like a woman, 
LFS is there. Um, and they have a free, they have a free membership. So you can start with your basic financial literacy. Then I think you can go to a dollar a month and you'll get some more access to some more in-depth information. And then it moves up to subscription all the way up to private wealth. And um, so if you want to start somewhere in a non-aggressive way where you're going to start getting pitched life insurance and mutual funds, um, definitely start there. Uh, it's a great robo-advisor. You can start doing things on your own without any pressure from a salesperson or a broker or a financial advisor. And then when you're ready, you can move into the actual advisor part of their program. And that's when you're going to be working with um, either a CFP, which is a financial planner, or a, an advisor um, on the private well side. And then once you've achieved that, then we can have another conversation because then you're probably at and an accredited status, and then you can get into all the fun stuff in private equity. Cool. Kelly, thank you so much for being here. I, you know, I, I, as I said at the beginning, you know, doing financial based shows is not something I normally do. However, I felt like this is timely. It's important. And the other thing too, that I think I wanted to bring this up earlier, you know, the other thing for women, why this is important, I get more messages. And I, my wife, too, get a lot of messages from women that feel trapped in their situation because they went in trusting. This is why the other reason why communication is so important and honesty is important. Because there's a lot of women that get stuck because, you know, oh, the husband's making a lot of money. Of course, he could be running a Ponzi scheme. You don't know these things, right? You right. just, oh, this is the high life. And he bought me a fancy dinner and he got me a nice dress and I went dancing and I went vacation. Yes. And I took a big ass nap on a big ass yacht and woo like all that stuff. And so you're you're not even thinking, where's this money coming from? Right. Like I'm, I'm a money launderer for uh, the, you know, <laughs> the yeah. cartel or whatever. I mean, so it's good to ask these questions. And the reason, and it's also good like this is another reason why I think working with Kelly is so important is because y'all need to know these things so you don't get yourself stuck, right. you know, so you can invest. My daughter, she didn't watch. She hates my guts right now. So I can say <laughs> that my daughter, hopefully, hopefully by the time she does see this, she doesn't hate me anymore, but she's stuck in a situation. This is part of the reason why she hates me. She's stuck in a situation and she can't leave because she knows no other way to earn a living than doing what she's doing. Right. And so she's got somebody with power over her that go, you're hurting for money, then you're gonna do what I say. Right. Or you can get your ass out and leave. Like that's how she's treated. But when she does what he wants, she got all the money in the world, drives there's the a, drives all the stuff. There's a lot of women uh in those situations. And um I think yeah, I think that the more that we talk about it, the better off they'll be. And um, after after this, I'll I'll get with um, Smoy and, and talk to her about maybe sending us an additional link to you because um, there is a nonprofit out there that is um, their financial advisors on a hotline available to people in domestic abuse situations. That's so. You can call the hotline and talk to a financial advisor um, and they can help you get out of your, your situation financially um, in, a, in a way that does not seem like anything, any bells are triggered, right? So yeah, these are all yeah. people that have been trained in these specific type of trauma situations and their financial advisors and they donate their time 
uh, to this organization. So I don't remember it off the top of my head, but um, I did. I'll put it in the, when you send it to me, I'll make sure it's in the media kit. So okay, it'll be on our website. Um, I that that's super cool. Would, do, would they work with trafficking victims as well? I think they'll work street. with anybody. I mean, it is literally just a uh, hotline for financial advisors uh, to be available to people who need them, who can't That's necessarily great. afford uh, to talk to one. Amazing. Kelly, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. See you soon. I've never done a broadcast like that. Half the stuff she said was over my head but it was brilliant. Now I want to know more. Man, all I can hear is like the conversations and I'm seeing the, the text messages and all this stuff from women I know that are stuck. I've been in a situation where I felt stuck. I stayed in a relationship for all the wrong reasons. I felt like she was the only one that could nurse me back to health. I felt like I needed to be loyal because she had helped me so much. And yet, like these lies that we saw, I know, I, I know I'm, a, I'm a man. So, I mean, it's a different situation, but like I do understand that feeling of like being stuck. And everything I said at the very beginning, now I know why I said it. Half the time I do a monologue, I never know why I'm saying what I'm saying. And now I know. What she just said was important information. So I hope that you guys took this serious. I hope you took notes. And, you know, I'm excited to be able to show the nonprofit because I know a lot of you are like, a million dollars? I just got out of jail. I love our diverse audience. <laughs> We have a wide mix of here. We have billionaires that watch. We have people from all like all walks of life. And I and I'm grateful for that. But for those of you that are watching or going, I don't have that kind of money. Well, there's other solutions too. And uh, so I encourage you guys to reach out to her if you're qualified or um, if, if, if you know, if, or even look for the media kit to look at this nonprofit. Um, but financial literacy is something that we all should know. We should all have learned. We should have been taught it in school. It's a crime that we weren't. And, and that's why some of us, you know, have no money skill at all. And not know how to manage it, be a good steward of it, how to properly invest when you pay taxes, when you don't, I, I don't know any of that stuff. I don't. And it's kind of embarrassing because I'm a grown man and I don't know these things. Maybe we should hire her anyway. Well, thank you guys for being here. Uh, I want to say one other thing because it goes to what the point that she made. We just get to start being honest with each other about things. Because you see, if you, if you lie about a problem, there is no way of fixing that problem. You can stuff the problem, you can suppress the problem, you can run from the problem, but guess what's gonna happen? That problem is gonna sneak up on you and punch you in the face. That's my entire life until I learned to be honest. Now, I can look in the camera and say the things that I say as somebody that loves Jesus, and you can say I'm a hypocrite for my sexuality, and I love Jesus, but guess what? My fruit will speak for myself. Walk your own walk. Worry about your own stuff. But see, truth has given me a superpower to not be afraid of you 
or afraid of backlash or afraid of anything because I know who I am now. And that started with truth. I, my dreams are coming true. Thank God for that. But it's, it started with truth because truth, even though it can be painful, it at least gives you an opportunity to address it, fix it, repair it, heal from it, whatever. It gives you that opportunity. And it also frees the hostages in your life. But when we're lying about our money and we're lying about our sexuality, we're lying about all this other stuff, guess what happens? Nothing good. Nothing good. Truth sets you free and there's layers to it. It'll set you free financially too. So anyway, I could go on about this forever and I won't. I'm so grateful for Kelly. Perfectly timely. Uh, what a blessing she is. Thank you for being here. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. How do I turn this off? You think I know how to turn on my own screen? The button disappeared. Okay, now we're leaving.